Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Okay, uh, first, can you say your first and last name for me? Sure. First name is Scott, S-C-O-T-T, Colette, C-O-L-L-E-T-T. And uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Yeah, I'm from... Actually, the Appleton area, I've been down here about four years, um, retired truck driver, took a part-time job over at um, the Hyatt Regency, and that's pretty much uh, how we got involved. So, I mean, the, the pandemic hits, how does that affect your job? Pandemic hits, uh, the hospitality industry gets just smashed, uh, hotel closes. Um, I worked as a concierge in room service, did a little bit of both. And, uh, well, it put me out of work. And what happened from there? I applied for unemployment. I had an ongoing disability case going. I have a um, cirrhosis of the liver. And I was approved for disability. So they have a big questionnaire you have to go through every week to qualify for unemployment. Every week you, they ask you a number of questions. One of them is, are you collecting SSDI? So now I had to answer yes. So immediately when I answered yes, that triggered something and they no longer paid me. You know, I don't want to make this sound like I'm, I'm being, that I'm being sappy here, but it's drove me to tears. There's a lot of creditors I've had to ask for help and assistance. Amanda, it was, it was this far from suicidal. I cannot begin to tell you how devastating it was. And now it, it's become a full-time job trying to call and talk to people. And I see no reason why that folks that are on SSDI who can go out and work, who want to be part of being productive and part of their community and part of society, why they can't be paid unemployment. The Fox 6 Studios. This is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire, and I'm here with my colleague Brian Polson. Hey, Brian. Hi, Amanda. We are recording this episode on Wednesday, September 15th, and today we're talking about a class action lawsuit claiming Wisconsin's unemployment system discriminates against people with disabilities. And Amanda, this is not the first time we've talked about unemployment on this podcast and not even about uh, Social Security disability income, but this is definitely an issue you've been covering for a while. And the fact that we're still here talking about it tells me you have some new developments. What's going on? That's right. Some big developments. And you're right. We have talked about this here on the podcast. So if you haven't already, I do recommend going back and listening to our episode from June 16th, 2020. It's called Wisconsin Stands Alone. But if you haven't been following along, I want to give you a quick recap before we get into the new stuff. So in the United States, if you have a disability that keeps you from, quote, substantial gainful activity, you can receive Social Security Disability Insurance Payments. That's SSDI for short. And that's how we're going to refer to it the rest of the podcast. So those SSDI payments come from taxes that you, the employee, pay and that your employer pays. In 2020, most people on SSDI could continue to receive payments as long as they were making less than $1,260 per month at their job. So that substantial gainful activity 
That's how we define it. So if you were making less than $1,260 per month at your job, uh, for the most part, if you were on SSDI, you could continue to receive those payments. And a lot of times those numbers don't make a lot of sense to me until you put them in sort of an annualized thing. So that's about 15000 a year. Is that right? That's right. So everyone we've talked to who receives SSDI payments say that they're not enough to live on. A lot of people say it only covers their rent. Um, and that's why the government actually encourages people on SSDI to work as much as they are able. So you can work and get SSDI benefits as long as you're not making more than that threshold. So in one story, we did some quick math. So let's say you bring in $800 a month from your job and you get the average SSDI payment of $1,200 per month. So that's $24,000 to live on per year between your job and your SSDI payment. So you're not getting rich off of that. Now let's say you lose that job. That's 40% of your income and that brings you down to just your SSDI payments of $14,400 per year. So that's a big loss if you use, lose that job. But in Wisconsin, if you receive SSDI payments and you lose that job, you are automatically disqualified from unemployment benefits. So you were making 24000 combined. Now you're just getting the SSDI of 14000 but you are not in Wisconsin eligible for unemployment benefits. I'm guessing that's where the lawsuit comes in. It is. So last week, a group of plaintiffs, including Scott Colette, who you heard from a few minutes ago at the beginning of this episode, they filed a class action lawsuit under the Americans with Disabilities Act. So the way it works now, two employees working the same job at the same place could be laid off for the same reason, but only the one getting SSDI, the person with the disability, gets automatically disqualified from unemployment. And the lawsuit says that's what makes this discriminatory. So, for instance, two people are working at the same, I don't know, factory or whatever it might be, or they're working uh, somewhere, you know, whatever it might be. One person doesn't have that Social Security disability income. The other does. The one who has it can't get unemployment benefits. That's where they're saying there's there's a difference in the law here. Uh, so right, so, so because... what, are, what are they asking for? So this lawsuit is asking for a change to the practice. They want to end the automatic disqualification. And, and the lawyers involved say, look, there might be a different reason that someone who receives SSDI doesn't qualify for unemployment, and that's fine. But right now the way it works is even if you check all the other boxes for getting unemployment, you are automatically disqualified if you get SSDI. They want to end that practice. They also want a window going back six years, because that's how long this practice has been in place, for people who have been receiving SSDI but didn't file unemployment during that time because they knew they couldn't get it. They want a window going back six years where those people could file and get their unemployment benefits that they never filed for because they thought they wouldn't be able to get it. And then the other thing they want is um, a, an issue resolved with overpayments. So in Wisconsin, if you get paid out unemployment benefits and then the state goes, oh, wait a minute, mm, you weren't supposed to get those, you have to pay it back. And the and in some cases, people on SSDI, they initially received their unemployment benefits and then the state went back and said, oh, no, 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 you weren't supposed to get that, you got to pay it back. 
So the lawyers are saying they want that their clients to get refunded for those overpayments that they had to repay. And you can't go back to the grocery store and say, by the way, I need that money back I spent on this month's groceries because the government wants their money back. You've eaten the food. Um, it doesn't right. really work that way. So obviously that would be a real hardship. One of the questions I have, and, and, and I may need you to sort of re-educate me a little bit on this, but when you go back to pre-pandemic, you know, I know a lot of things have changed with unemployment rules during the pandemic, but pre-pandemic rules, is part-time employment eligible for unemployment benefits in a typical time? It can be, yes. So if, and even if you lose, you don't have to completely lose your job in order to qualify for unemployment either. You could have a severe reduction in your hours and receive unemployment benefits. Now it's, it's a formula they use. It's a case by case basis. So it's hard to, to make a a blanket statement, but yes, you can, in some cases be working part time and still receive unemployment benefits depending on how much money you're bringing in from that part-time job. Because I can imagine the principle behind this, if you eliminate the numbers, and you were very good here at the outset of giving us math, giving us the numbers so we understand what's going on. But it's easy maybe from the outside to look at it and go, hey, you're already getting disability. What do you need unemployment for? Until you hear the numbers and you go, oh, okay, that's why you need that. That was a significant part of your income when your income's already not very high that was probably paying some of those basic, uh, you know, bills that you need just to, to, to get by on. So is is this sort of a paradigm shift, the idea that even people who are getting disability income need this kind of supplemental support? So Wisconsin's actually one of the few states that has a, a ban, a complete eligibility ban like this on people who receive Social Security disability insurance from getting unemployment benefits. A lot of other states don't have a ban. Some have, you know, what's called an offset, where maybe your unemployment benefits are reduced if you're receiving Social Security disability insurance, but you're still able to get something. And I know we've talked about this in the past. Why is Wisconsin such an island in that regard? Yeah, so this really came about in 2013 uh, during the Scott Walker years Uh, during that administration, there was a lot of unemployment reform. And Brian, I think you actually might have covered this story. Around that time, um, it it made headlines. There was a guy who was going around. He was hopping from place to place. He was receiving SSDI payments, um, and he was working a, a lot as a contractor, and he was collecting unemployment benefits. And in that, I mean, that was a a case of fraud, uh, as the state determined. And that really became one of the examples that people gave of saying, hey, we need to make it, we think that people could be committing fraud here if they're collecting SSDI and receiving unemployment benefits. I think part of the issue when we talk about this is people get SSDI confused with workers' comp. Right. So if I take a disability leave from my workplace and it's a it's a workers comp issue. I am not going to work like I'm getting paid because I can't go to work. You you can't work at your job at all. Suddenly, if they see you working somewhere else, well, clearly, yeah, you were able to work. So why are we paying you? Right. And I think that's what people think of when they think of. SSDI payments. 
But the way those payments are structured, the program really incentivizes people to work as much as they are able. And I think that's the piece that's missing from a lot of this. So, so the controversy the attorneys, is if, if, if it looks like you're unable to work because of a disability, how are you able to work somewhere else? But SSDI does not mean you are entirely unable to work. It means Correct. you can't work at your full capacity or at a full earning level, but there's still a strong encouragement to go out and earn what you can. Exactly. And the attorneys for the plaintiffs in this lawsuit say the way Wisconsin has it structured actually discourages people from working if they know that they can't get those unemployment benefits. And they're actually concerned that the current system encourages employers to discriminate against people with disabilities. So the way unemployment benefits work is they're funded by taxes paid by the employer, right? And so if your employer keeps doing layoffs and people, their former employees keep filing for unemployment, your employer has to has to pay more taxes. It costs your employer money. And so the fear, and I haven't seen, and I don't know how we would collect the data to back this up. This is just what I've heard anecdotally. But the attorneys for the plaintiffs say they're concerned that employers will look at their list when they're looking at who to get rid of and go, ooh, I know this person on SSDI can't file for unemployment, which means my unemployment fund won't get dinged. So I should lay that person off. So they're worried that that system could encourage employers to discriminate against people with disabilities. Again, I, I, don't, I haven't seen any data on that. I don't know how we would collect that data. And this is an issue that's really hard to put numbers to. So in order to get an idea of the impact of this, the best numbers I could get, the federal government tracks, you know, who's getting SSDI payments and according to their latest numbers, it's nearly 157,000 workers in Wisconsin at one point were receiving Social Security disability insurance payments. Now, that doesn't mean all those people qualified for unemployment. That doesn't mean all those people were filing for unemployment and didn't get it. But under Wisconsin, the way Wisconsin operates right now, all those people, if they do lose their jobs, would be automatically disqualified from getting unemployment benefits. So, uh, and, it, and I, again, uh, uh, say that I come into this with obviously less preparation than you do. You've been working on the story, and oftentimes we, we sort of have to literally uh, interview each other on these podcasts for things we don't know. So I, I hope this isn't a dumb question, but... No such thing as I, dumb but, questions, But I think Brian. it's one that's on a lot of people's minds right now. We know that when we first started talking about unemployment on this podcast, we were in the early stages of a pandemic and people were losing jobs left and right and jobs were difficult to find and employers definitely were not hiring. They were laying people off or they were shutting down. We're in a place now where employers are desperate for workers. They can't find them anywhere. People are, you know, uh, I was just, just last night, I went to get some carry-out Chinese food from a, a, a great place uh, near my house, and the owner of the place said, we could carry out, we could not eat in, because they don't have enough workers to run the restaurant. And he said it's sad. They just revamped and did a bunch of work to beautify their seating area. They can't staff it. So there is that question of, 
are you know we're talking about unemployment right now at a time when there's all of this need for people are are the people suing over this is this a lawsuit in principle does this date back to issues that cropped up during the early stages of the pandemic or are these people who even in spite of the great need for work still can't get the work they need because of their disabilities so it depends on who you talk to so let's talk about scott colette because he's He's the person that we interviewed. He's one of the named plaintiffs. So he has a couple issues going on here. He has, he was, he's a retired truck driver. Uh, he has a liver disease that causes extreme fatigue. It means he can't work like, you know, your regular 40 hours a week. So he was able to work part-time at a hotel. COVID comes through, just destroys the hospitality industry. He files for unemployment, and as soon as he checks the box that says he gets SSDI, he gets booted. Now, in that case, he was originally paid, and then the state said, now you have to pay us back. So in his case, he wants to be, he doesn't want to have to to pay all of that unemployment back because he was on SSDI. It also gets a little tricky because there's something called pandemic unemployment assistance, which is the federal assistance during the pandemic, right? That was the extra so, assistance because of the yes. pandemic, right? And there was a back and forth about whether Wisconsinites on SSDI could qualify for that. And at first the state said no, and then the state said yes after we did So this applies stories. to regular unemployment benefits, this not that regular, special pandemic unemployment benefit. Correct. Correct. And even in that case, Scott says he appealed, he won his appeal, and still hasn't received those payments. Now, he has since found, you know, other kind of part-time jobs here and there. He was working over at Summerfest a few hours a week when we talked to him. So he has since been able to supplement with a little bit more work, but he's still stuck with this big bill um, from the state where they say, hey, we overpaid you, you got to pay this back. And if he loses his job in the future, it, the cycle starts all over again. Well, and, and that's Plus, part he's of my still question. waiting on that federal assistance. That's part of my question is looking ahead, because I imagine we may be at a place in time where jobs are so plentiful that there aren't nearly as many people, even those on SSDI, dealing with this today. But we know that things are cyclical, and we know that there will come a time not too far in the future, where there are, once again, people struggling to find work who go through this issue. So I imagine if if they can sort of set this precedent now, it could impact a lot of people down the road, not just today. And it also depends on what kinds of jobs are available, right? So, And it depends on what kind of disability you have. And I think sometimes we think disability and we automatically think someone in a wheelchair. But in this case, you know, in, in Scott's case, it's a disability that you can't see, but severely impacts his ability to do the the day-to-day stuff. And by the way, getting SSDI is not an easy process. A lot of people hire lawyers to help them with the paperwork. And in Scott's case, it took him two years to get approved for SSDI. So that alone, you have to go through a lot in order to qualify to receive those payments. But, you know, if the jobs that are available are, you know, being a waiter at a restaurant, for example, for 40 hours a week, well, someone on SSDI probably wouldn't be able to do that. So are the jobs that they can do 
even available is is one of the questions. And then you also have some people who say, you know, I'd love to go back to work, but there's no childcare right now. That's a whole separate podcast episode. And so I have to I have to take care of my kids. I can't send them anywhere. I can't get them into any daycare spots. So th- there are a whole bunch of reasons why the unemployment issue, even though there are a lot of job openings, could still be a really big one for people with disabilities. But you're right. It's also going into the future and then retroactively dealing with things in the past um, that that they've had to go through. I, I know so, the Department of Workforce Development obviously administers this program. Do they, though, sort of have a... Sometimes they have to work within the laws they're given, but they may have sort of uh, a desire to go one direction or the other. What's sort of been their response on this? So it's interesting because that's the question I've been asking this whole time is, okay, we're we're not under the Scott Walker administration, right? That was Republican. We are now under the Tony Evers administration. He's a Democrat. And uh, he has been vocal about uh, not liking a whole lot of things that happened under the Scott Walker administration. So my question was, you know, why hasn't there been a a change in in how unemployment is administered when it comes to this issue with people on SSDI? Well, particularly if DWD or the Evers administration is blaming the Walker changes, right? Is it, you know, they're saying that, well, we're hamstrung by that. You're asking, well, then why haven't you done something to change it? Yeah, so it it depends on who you ask. So the attorneys for the plaintiffs in this uh, lawsuit, they claim that the Department of Workforce Development, and that's the state department that oversees unemployment in Wisconsin, they claim that the Department of Workforce Development does have power to change the way that they enforce the law that's on the books, that they could make some changes right now if they wanted to. The Department of Workforce Development says, uh, that's not true. We can't do that. Our hands are tied because of the way the law currently works. Now, Governor Evers has proposed changes to Wisconsin's law as it relates to SSDI payments. But, you know, some of the people I've talked to on SSDI say his changes don't go far enough that it would basically amount to um, an offset. So you could get some unemployment benefits, but not a whole lot. The attorneys for the plaintiffs in this case say that would still be discriminatory because you're still treating the people with disabilities differently than you're treating everyone else. Because there isn't, it's not a rule that says if you receive any government checks for anything, you get fewer unemployment benefits. It's specifically saying if you get SSDI. Well, and and Governor Evers may well be a Democrat, different from the Walker administration, but he's dealing with a legislature that is Republican, and he's obviously been at odds with. To get where the plaintiffs in this case want the state to go, is this something that the Evers administration can do on its own, or does it need the legislature to be on board? The Evers administration, if you... If you take the Department of Workforce Development at their word that they cannot change the way they enforce the law without a change to the law, then yes, Governor Evers would need the legislature and the legislature um, it still you know, under Republican leadership. A lot of people who were there during the Scott Walker years and passed those unemployment reform laws, they have no appetite to take this up. And 
there's still um, an argument there that, hey, this is something that we need on the books to prevent fraud. And and that's what you'll hear from. And interestingly, in this lawsuit um, about uh, unemployment and discrimination, allegations of discrimination, uh, the legislature does have a right to intervene in the lawsuit if they so choose. And so, you know, they'll be notified. They'll have that opportunity. We'll kind of see what happens next. I mean, this could take a year and a half to play out if it goes through the entire court process. Um, but if you if you talk to the unemployment attorneys who we've been uh, speaking to as we cover this issue with SSDI, they say that there are changes that can happen without the legislature. So definitely some conflicting ideas over what is happening and what needs to happen from here, depending on who you talk to. All right, this is the part of the podcast where we go off the record. We get personal by answering a surprise question from none other than executive producer extraordinaire Sarah Smith. Hey, Sarah. What up? Hi. Um, what an introduction. Extraordinaire. Um, okay, so... That's reserved for you and for Dave Machuda. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, today, I get a little, a little, not like deep, but like, you know, a little insightful. So... My question today for off the record is, you meet your 18-year-old self, and you're allowed to say three words. What do you say? So I'll give you guys a second. Three words, your 18-year-old self, you're your current age and everything. Um, So what I would say to 18-year-old Sarah is, um, you'll be fine. Um, Sorry. Um. So when I was 18. Well, that one got you. That was, that was real. That was real, real. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, don't, don't apologize. Was, That's what I love about these questions because you, you're, you're getting yeah. deep. Well, when I was 18, it was just I was two years past when my dad had died, suddenly, tragically. And I was up in Green Bay going to college. And, um, you know, at 18, you're kind of, uh, you know, a little bit on your own. I was trying to find myself, and so I think not knowing what my future held or if I would be okay, um, you know, is so I think you'll be fine is something that if I could talk to 18-year-old Sarah, that's, you know, it would be that, is that, you know, things things are going to work out pretty well for you, and, you know, you're, you're going to be okay, and, you know, uh, uh, in all aspects, you know, job, family, um, and just self. So that's what I would say to me at 18. Uh, Amanda, if you're ready, you go. Cause that, this one's a tough one. I would say go to therapy <laughs> to my 18 year old self. Um, because I, I had so much anxiety and didn't know it was anxiety and just thought it was normal. Like thought it was just like, that everybody lived like this and you know it's a weird thing where the thing that makes me good at my job is also the reason I need therapy right like when you're that perfectionist and you have that drive because you're worried about things not being exactly in place and at 18 I don't know I, I was I was really 
struggling with that, but I just I just thought that that was everyone, and I I didn't know that there were resources and that there were ways that I could improve that and have tools to cope. I just thought everyone had panic attacks. Like I really. I had no idea, and I, I still thought of therapy as something that was like, oh, that's a last resort. That's like, yeah. that's only if your whole life is falling apart. Yeah. It was like, oh, no, this is like, it's like going to the doctor for a checkup, but for your mental health. And um, I I think I was also scared that since anxiety, I saw that as being the thing that made me a better student. And I think I was almost worried that if I lost that, that I wouldn't be good at this <laughs> anymore and it was like oh no I'm better at this now that I have talked to a, a licensed professional um, so I think I think go to therapy would be the the three words I would say see part of why this is so challenging I think is that there's one thing about going you know when you think about giving advice to your 18 year old self the question you ask is are you trying to change how things turned out because mm. advice obviously can make you make different decisions and it's difficult because there's all kinds of things I could advise my 18 year old self but I don't know that I want to change the outcome because obviously I love my wife I love my kids I have a great job I I have you know abundant blessings in my life that I think would I want to change that I mean I might want to change some of the suffering along the way some of the chances that I took along the way that may or may not have turned out the way they did in the multiverse if that exists there are other places where I've failed miserably um so there's there's advice that I would give, like, if, if there were other me's at 18 years old and there was no guarantee things were going to turn out this way, there's definite advice I would give them. And I think one of the biggest things I would would say is go to college. And I mean go now. Or, or the other three-word thing would be take the scholarship. And here's what I mean by that. So whenever I go to a career day... Now, people think, oh, you're an investigative reporter at Fox 6 News, and you've won awards, and you've got this great job. Give us advice on how to get there. And I hate telling people how I did it because I don't advise the path I took. I was uh, I was a pretty good student in high school, and I remember getting a really high score on the ACT that even my school counselor was like, wow, that's fantastic. You can get scholarships to all kinds of in-state schools here in the state of Missouri. And I went to my parents and I said, my dad had gone to engineering school and was a successful environmental engineer. My brother had gone to engineering school and was still there at that time, eventually went on to become a patent attorney. And I was was destined for engineering school, University of Missouri Rolla. I was going to follow in their footsteps. And I went, you know what, guys? I don't want to do that. I want to go into radio because I want to be a sports play-by-play announcer. I love the St. Louis Cardinals. And they went, radio, yeah, I don't know about that. And, and I convinced them. There was a, a school in, in St. Louis called the, the Broadcast Center. It was like a one-year sort of tech school. There was no scholarship. And, um, and my parents, I convinced them to pay for that thing, and it got me my first radio job where I made $12,000 my first year. I had, and I'm not saying this to brag, I'm saying this almost more out of embarrassment. I had a 32 on my ACT in high school. I could have gone all kinds of places. I was making $12,000 a year and living two and a half hours from home, alone, lonely, in a small town where I didn't know anyone. And I thought, after a few years of that, I thought, what did I do with my life? But I loved what I was doing. I just wasn't making a good living at it. And eventually... 
I went back to school. I went to the University of Missouri, which is a great journalism school, and I got into television. And because I had a few years of experience, I did even better in school, and I my, some of my television work was more polished than the other students, and I got a great first job out of college. I worked at KCCI in Des Moines, which for a lot of people would be a second job, at least at that time. And um, and I've, I've moved up. I went to Kansas City. I ended up here. And look at, you know, the career I've made. And, I, and you know, I've got a wonderful wife and, like I say, amazing children. So would I want to redo that and lose all of that? Heck no. But I look back and think, at 18 years old, you didn't go to college and you took all of these gambles. I, I would advise myself, just go to school and get the degree right away. Because I think most people who take that time off risk not going back at all. I will say this platform we have uh, here at Fox 6 as high schoolers graduate called Salute to Seniors. And I read through all these entries of these proud parents and guardians and grandparents and friends of these graduating seniors. And there are so many different avenues as far as schooling to take, you know, whether it's going to that two-year tech school, whether it's going into the trade. I mean, but you're right, like taking that break or maybe going, like you said, you know, kind of talking yourself and your parents out of something. Um, but it's just, it's really cool to see these kids who are super motivated right out of school, not to just be like, eh, I'm just going to take a couple years off and figure it out. Like that they, they have a path and that's what they want to do. So, well, and, and I don't mean yeah. to make that about the fact that you just, you have to go to college to be successful, but, but, oh, no, no. but, but what, what I realize is, Along the way, I mean, you guys know you've been in this business. This is not a business uh, that that guarantees uh, success or great income. There's a lot of people who fall off very early along the way. It's sort of a war of attrition to survive in journalism and broadcasting because it doesn't pay well. You have to move around a lot. Um, And I moved every few years for a long time where I would bounce from job to job because that's how you made a little more income and, and worked your way up. And so I left behind pockets of friends um, and had to start all over in new places. And in some ways, that built the person I am today. I learned how to adapt to change. But in other ways, I felt like I really lost out on some things. Um, We were just talking about it yesterday when I saw Jenna. We did a a group interview for a couple of stories we were working on. And somehow we all got talking while we waited about dorm life. My daughter is in a dorm now, and I think it's a great experience. And, And I mentioned to the group, I I never lived in a dorm because of the way I did the radio thing and whatever. And that's a part of, that's an experience in life I missed out on that I regret. I think there's some real, you know, those are some formative years. So, you know, but, but again, I come back to the question of what I want to advise myself in a way that changed the outcome. I don't think I would. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you, Brian. I even look at, I, I graduated early from college and on one hand, great choice because it's the reason I started my job in Toledo which is where I met my husband and it's how I got into investigative reporting like you said it's like the domino effect of all those other things but I also do feel like I missed out on an ex- I mean I was 21 you know by myself in an apartment I, I could relate a lot to what you were saying where it's like what did I do I'm not making any money what's happening all my friends are like on spring break I can't afford to go to spring break Um, But then, you know, do you want to change any of the results? And, you know, that's kind of how you get those learning experiences. Gosh, Sarah, what a question. 
Yeah, that was well, a good one. Right, right. But I also, like, don't you think, too, sorry, I know you're trying to wrap it up, and I'm like, but one more thing. Um, but I do think, <laughs> I mean, I think just a lot of what we're all saying here, like, none of us want to change that path. Like, I think what happened to me at age 16 made me who I am today. And I don't, I mean, do I want my dad back? Of course I do. But, you know, like, am I, like, mad at myself for how I've lived the last 20-some years? Heck no. Like, it's, you know, all of these things have given us more empathy, more, you know, just more compassion, more drive, you know, to, to do these things. And then to maybe help the next kind of group coming up of like, well, what should I do? I'm, I'm feeling anxious. Well, let's go, you know, maybe talking to a therapist or, you know, I just stuff yeah. like that, that I think that the things that we've all gone through, you know, separately and together, whatever, um, that have just really made us who we are. And that's why we're such really high five wonderful people. Well, that's why You'll Be Okay was such a good choice, because I think if we could go back and tell our younger selves through all the anxiety and the struggles and the suffering that it's going to be okay, stick with it, get by it one day. It's great advice. I, I, I don't want to make this too poignant, uh, but but I, I this is interesting because it came up yesterday. Um, I, I, I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast before, but I'm in a second marriage. I, I am divorced. And when I first got divorced, it was 2011, um, I met up with a group of people uh, who it was a sort of a meetup group. It was a, of people who were recent divorcees, and it was a social club. You go out and you have fun and maybe sing karaoke or go bowling or something. And there was somebody I met in the group named Carrie. She was a wonderful woman, very sweet, very kind, um, tried a lot of new things, just a real personable, kind human being. And I just saw a, a Facebook post yesterday. She passed away. She died of brain cancer. But she had the foresight and the ability to actually leave a message for her friends. And so someone posted her final words and and one of the the line that stood out to me that I thought was the most poignant was she said through all of it she said I am proud of how I lived my life. And I thought that is a powerful statement for anyone to make because if you look back regardless of the struggle if you can say I'm proud of how I lived my life there's no better thing I think you can say before you go. Was that too deep? No, I think <laughs> no. that's a great place to end it. I, I like it. You put the period. I mean, in the that's. Sentence. I mean, that's not. You know, we're not talking relish and, and pickles here, but um, it was that was a pretty good one. But that's sometimes you need a little off you the need meat. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss on Open Record, if you have a really poignant question for Sarah to ask us uh, during the Off the Record segment, if there's an issue you think we should investigate, please send us an email to fox6investigators at fox.com. Again, that's fox6investigators at fox.com. As always, thank you to all the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and you, Sarah Smith. We're so happy that you're here with us. You make me smile Um. every time you... Come on here and ask us a question. Um, Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. With that, I'm Amanda St. Hilaire. And for Brian Polson, we will be back next week. Mm-hmm.